Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Kublup campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. We continue with our series on Open to the Spirit. And this week, um, I, uh, I want to share with you about the God who speaks, the God who speaks. If I were to uh, tell you the word veil, V-E-I-L, you'd probably think of a beautiful bride who has uh, a veil, uh, perhaps a lace one. Uh, some brides have thicker ones, others uh, thinner ones. There we go. And essentially, it's, it's a cloth that covers. And since the Holy Spirit has come, He wants to unveil and He wants to reveal Himself to us. Remember when Jesus was on the cross and He said, it is finished? There was a, the, the curtain that was in the temple uh, separating the, the area from the Holy of Holies was torn from top to bottom. And that was a thick curtain, as thick as my hand. That's how thick it was, and went up. And, and we know that it could never have been uh, cut uh, by somebody from the bottom. The Latin word for veil is vela, V-E-L-A, which uh, means to cover. We, uh, you know, if, if you go to a a ceremony where they are about to uh, unveil a statue. We, we don't know what it looks like, but when that cover is lifted, so you uh, begin to see what is behind that particular veil. And I want to share with you a beautiful truth this morning, uh, a truth about the power of God's grace. Because we can live Christian lives, but they can be drudgery. And they can be hard work. And I think that God wants us to live positive Christian lives, filled with joy, filled with His grace. You know, there is often that uh, thinking that, well, Christianity is, is about all the don'ts. Don't smoke, don't drink, don't go to bad places. You know, and it brings drudgery uh, into our lives. Because we try and accomplish something that we can never actually accomplish on our own. But God wants us to, to, to reveal to us that He's a God that wants to add positive Christianity into our lives. Uh, a life that is filled with joy because of who He is. And so there are many people who live in darkness, uh, as it were, because they've never experienced the joy of the Lord. And for them, Christianity is just hard work. Oh, I'm a Christian. Oh, woe is me. <laughs> Feel sorry for me because... You know, this, I don't know why God ever revealed himself to me. Because it's just hard work. Well, it's never meant to be hard work. Let's take a look at the passage today. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 to 18. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, the Ten Commandments, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily 
on the face of Moses because of its glory, fading as though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we're very bold. We're not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Paul wrote here in verse 6, and he says, the letter kills, uh, and that word kills, uh, apoktino, it slays, it destroys, it brings about darkness, if you like. And that's what the Old Testament law did. But it's the spirit that brings life. That word for life is a word that means uh, it revitalizes, it makes alive, it quickens. So one is able to live a life that is pleasing to God. Friends, uh, what Paul is trying to explain to them, the difference between light and darkness, uh, the, 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 the difference between the letter of the law and the spirit of life. The difference between heaven and hell, if you like. You see, you cannot create darkness. Darkness exists. How do we allow this place to be dark? We turn the lights off. It exists. The only way to get rid of darkness is to turn the lights on. And so what Paul is saying to them, listen, it's not about don't do certain things, but it's about allowing the Spirit of God to fill you, to come inside and tabernacle within you. And when that happens, there is an automatic reflection to God because He is the one that we live and move and have our existence in. So I want to share with you uh, the first point that Christianity uh, is painful under rules and regulations. And he says that from verses 6 to 16, that uh, God's law was given to the Jews in the Old Testament to basically show that they were sinners. And it was to allow them to, to turn to Him. You see, the Old Testament law is like a mirror that allows us to see the dirt on our face. But it can never take that dirt away. The law shows us that we are not clean. And then we become dependent on the one who can make us clean. Remember when, when Moses went up to Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments, while he's away, all the Israelites take uh, the gold and they melt it and make a golden calf. And, they, they, uh, and that was one of the Egyptian gods, the god of fertility. And they begin to worship that god of fertility. 
just because Moses is gone to, uh, to be with God. And we read that when he came down in Exodus 32, 28, he discovers this and he commands the Levites, the priests, to go and kill every man who was involved in this uh, worship of the golden calf. And that day, 3,000 men got killed. We're studying the book of Acts uh, on a Monday night uh, here at the church. We're going through it uh, verse by verse. And if you contrast that death to what happens uh, in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, where um, the, the gospel is being preached there on the day of Pentecost, where Peter preaches the gospel, there 3,000 people give their life to the Lord. The difference between the law that kills and the spirit that gives life. So why did God even give them the law? Well, I think firstly, uh, to point people to faith in himself. To direct people uh, to, to uh, turn their eyes to him. And only by the spirit can they do that. Because the law will bring about drudgery if we try and abide by it. To uh, the letter uh, of, of every single word that is commanded. So God gives the Jews these set of rules to show them that they can never abide by them. They are supposed to keep every uh, jot and tittle. And if you break one rule, it's just as well you break them all. Uh, because we read uh, in, in Galatians 3 verse 10 and verse 24, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written, and Paul quotes uh, from Deuteronomy 27, verse 26, and he says, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. So you will try your very best, but you'll never hit the mark. And guess what? When you don't hit the mark, then you're cursed. And that word cursed uh, is word katara, um, but here he uses a very strong word. He puts a preposition, epikatara. So he's saying that you are cursed to the very center of who you are because you can never accomplish uh, what you're called to do. And so he says, if you continue with this, if you persevere and hold fast to this law, uh, you'll, you'll never be able to keep it. And that word curse, folk, is actually, uh, it's, it's basically allowing yourself to be exposed to divine vengeance. That's what it means. You're exposed to divine vengeance. And so what, we, what, what Paul is trying to say to them, listen, turn to God, because the law uh, can never be kept, and that standard of the law can never be kept. And as you can't keep it, guess what? You are, you, you're inviting the vengeance of God into your life. He says, instead, the law is a guide. It's given to point people to faith. And that word point there uh, is the word Pedagogos, where we get the English word pedagogy, which means uh, it's a tutor or a guide. Like a parent guides their kids uh, and educates them in the right direction. Like teachers educate the children and guide them. Like a tutor guide. That's what the law is to do for you and for me. And friends, if it was up to them abiding by every single rule and regulation, none of them would have ever seen God. But instead, we find a man like Moses. Was he perfect? Absolutely not. Uh, he murdered somebody. But, he, 
But what he does is he comes and he becomes dependent on God. Because he moves uh, away from abiding by the law, realizing that he cannot keep it. You look at a man like David who broke so many rules uh, in the scriptures. Uh, what does he do? He has a personal relationship with God. And that's the important thing that we realize. Uh, I mean, David wrote 73 Psalms. And he realizes that he can never abide by the rules and regulations. And so what he needs is the desperate dependence on God. Because the law was given to point people, to guide people to turn to God. Secondly, I think that legalism has kept many Christians in bondage. Now, folk, it's not necessarily bad to abide by rules and regulations, but there is a danger when you demand that of everybody else. If I were to sort of draw something in a box, uh, the one side is the law and the other side grace, it's when you take those two concepts, those two realities to an extreme, that's dangerous. Because grace to an extreme becomes license. Well, I don't need to, you know, to abide by any rules. I'm free. And so it gives me license to do whatever I want. That's dangerous. The other corner is the law taken to an extreme is legalism. But instead, you know, as we live a life that is guided by the law to turn us to God so we can begin to please God. So these people try to obey every letter of the law. And perhaps we're not living in the Old Testament and abiding by those Ten Commandments, you know, every single bit. But many of us are still enslaved by the law because we bring it upon ourselves. And that's why uh, Paul wrote the book of Galatians. Because they said, well, you, now that Jesus died, we are set free. But we are truly free when we abide by those rules and regulations, those dietary laws. Uh, those sacrificial laws that we still keep. And Paul is saying, no, you cannot do that. Because what you're saying is that if you have to do those things, then what Jesus did on the cross was not enough to pay for the penalty of our sins. And so he writes Galatians 4 verses 9 and 10. And he says, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Weak, that word asthenis means they are infirm and feeble. They're not solid. They're not firm. They're infirm. In other words, it's exactly the opposite. And then he says, they are miserable principles. Tohos, they are reduced. They are helpless. They cannot do anything for you apart from guide you. And he says quite harshly to them, do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? And that word enslaved, do you intend do you thelo is the word? Do you desire it in your heart and wish it? In fact, do you love it, he's actually saying. Do you love uh, it by them all over again? You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. I grew up in, in a Greek family and, um, you know, there, there were these old wives' tales that were taken very seriously. You know, when you sit on a chair, don't swing your legs. You know, um, when you... when don't let your shoes be turned upside down because it means that your parents will die. Well, after I got a hiding, I turned them upside down, you know. Um, don't, you know, don't sit in a certain way. Don't whistle at night because you're calling the evil spirits. Oh, that's, you know, kind of, that's kind of crazy. But what about some people who say, you know what, we don't eat pork because the Bible says we're not allowed to eat pork. Um... 
What about some who say, well, you must speak in tongues or else you don't have the Holy Spirit. And we begin to allow these things to creep in. And we have a list that is longer than God's rules and regulations. That you must do this and you mustn't do that. You know, God gave us the Ten Commandments, but we've got 500 of our own commandments. I'm going to tell you that, you know, we often think that, that the law or legalism is only for preachers and theologians. Well, let me tell you about this one guy who uh, tried to be a very good Christian. And he, he tried to perform uh, all the right things in order to receive love and gain acceptance by people. He would uh, do certain things in order to please God, legalistically. He would read his Bible. He would study uh, the Bible. He would pray. He would tithe. He would have a prayer meeting before the church prayer meeting. He would uh, have his quiet time legalistically, always be at church, uh, tried his hand at, at Sunday school, failed hopelessly, uh, led Bible studies, etc., 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 and carried on trying to do things. And, and there was one problem that you could never accomplish, he could never accomplish the standard that he set that was not even God's standard. And he would fail over and over again. The things that he was supposed to be doing, he could never accomplish. And the things that he wasn't supposed to be doing, he was doing. And so he lived in absolute fear of God. And sadly, that person was me. And I thought to myself, goodness, this is drudgery. This is never what Christianity is supposed to be like. And folks, no matter how much you study it, you can never catch it. Because God's grace is not taught, it's caught. And at the age of 40, I realized how awesome. And that was a miracle that took place in my life. Because no matter how hard I tried, I could never accomplish what God wanted me to accomplish. Because there was always this fear in my life. Why? Because the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. I wonder if that's familiar to you. And so, Christianity can become extreme drudgery. But then also, Christianity is life under God's grace. It's life. And in verses 17 and 18, we read that, that the Spirit gives life. Talking about God's Holy Spirit here, that inside every Christian, the Spirit of God dwells in tabernacles and is supposed to set us free. I love the way Eugene Peterson uh, states it um, in the paraphrase uh, in verses 17 and 18 of 2 Corinthians 3. It's a paraphrase, and he says, And when God is personally present, a living spirit, that old constricting legislation is recognized as obsolete. In other words, it's null and void. Why? Because that light has come in and the darkness has fled. The more of the light there is, the more the darkness has to flee. We're free of it, exclamation mark. Nothing between us and God. Our face is shining with the brightness of his face. And so we are transfigured much like the Messiah. Our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like him. And why does that happen? What happens when, when grace comes and, and, and the law goes out? Well, firstly, I think grace 
begins this freedom immediately. You know, when, when uh, this fancy theological word, justification, before we were lost, but when we give our lives to God, when we become born from above, so He comes and dwells in our lives. But folks, that's not enough. He wants to fill us. When you go and get a car, you don't only put one tank of petrol in it. You go, well, I'm going to carry on driving for the rest of my life with this one tank of petrol. It doesn't work that way. You know, one baptism, but many fillings. Many fillings. We need to be filled over and over again. And that grace brings a true freedom. And that word freedom, uh, you know, that, that Paul talks about where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We sang about it. And that word freedom, eleftheria, it's true living. As we should. Because we want to, to please God, not myself. And you begin to realize that I can never do it in my own strength. But only by His strength. Because we no longer live under that bondage that I can't do certain things. N.T. Wright says it this way. Legalism says, try your hardest, but grace says, trust in God. Legalism emphasizes what you do, but grace emphasizes what God does. Legalism depends on your resources, but grace depends on God's resources. Legalism focuses on external rules and regulations, while grace focuses on inner heart and your attitude. Legalism is motivated by a sense of duty or obligation, while grace is motivated by a desire to please God because you love God. I don't have to obey God, but I choose to because He first loved me. While I was a sinner, he paid the penalty for my sin. The least I can do is live a life pleasing to him in appreciation. Legalism creates bondage, guilt, and frustration. But grace creates freedom and joy. The daily goal of a legalistic person is to try again, work more, give the maximum effort. While the goal of someone living under grace is to receive trust to abide in Christ, and to find rest in Him. And the main difference is that legalism says, I resolve to become pleasing to God, while grace says, I rejoice because I am pleasing to God. And friends, despite our backgrounds and our relationships with our parents and, and how we grew up, and that affects often how we react to God, God wants to come and dwell within us. And he sets us free immediately he comes. And so as we turn the tap on, if you like, and we allow the spirit to come and dwell within us, so uh, we give him more and more praise uh, in obedience for who he is. And finally, grace puts the spotlight on God. This word glory, Greek word doxa, appears nine times in these verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And the word glory has a, uh, it's got a double meaning. It means presence. So when we sing, Lord, um, uh, may your glory be with us. May your presence be with us. And as we experience his presence, we automatically give him praise and honor. 
Okay? And so when we welcome his presence, his doxa, we doxazo him. We praise him. Uh, we make his name famous. Why? Because, that's the, because of who he is. He's the true and living God. Remember Moses when he went up and spent time with God, his face shone. And so he comes down uh, and his face is radiant because he spent time with God. And folk, when, when the Holy Spirit dwells within us and we get filled over and over again, we begin to experience his presence and the spotlight moves away from me to who God is. And that's the God who speaks to you and to me. And then we begin to realize who he is and we respond to him. Remember Jesus said in one of the I am statements, I am the light of the world. The Greek there, ero imi, phos. I, I am light. And as we, as we take him into our lives, him, the Holy Spirit in our lives, he begins to uh, take preeminence in our lives and we give him the honor and the glory because his grace allows us to do that. And friends, as his grace comes to dwell within us, it begins to change us. It begins to transform us. It metamorphosizes us is the word that's used in Romans chapter 12. It transforms us to be more like him. And we begin to live uh, the, the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit, not fruits. Singular, karpos. Fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We begin to live them in our lives. And we say, Lord, more of you so we can reflect who you are in our lives. Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory, Paul writes. The hope of glory. That word hope, elpis, the confidence that we have in you, Lord. Christ in us, the, the confidence we have to live lives that are pleasing to him. I've got a, a flower here. And if I were to ask um, those gentlemen at the back uh, what colors they are, they would say, well, there's a bit of green here. There's a couple of different colors here. But they wouldn't be able to see the little ant that's crawling here. They wouldn't be able to see the, the, the new bud uh, that is crawling here. Okay, it's plastic, but imagine, you know. <laughs> they, they wouldn't be able to... They wouldn't be able to Smell how wonderful it is. And as we smell how wonderful it is, it is so wonderful that we call the people around us and say, come, come, it is amazing. Wow, it is so awesome. Come and you can't smell it from a distance. But the closer you get to it, the more you experience it, the more you want to tell others about it. And that's the grace of God, I suggest to you. Because as he comes and he lives within us, so we begin to reflect uh, who he is in our lives. And we want to tell other people how awesome God is. And if it's not amazing, it's not his grace. You know, uh, I was driving when I first came to WA. Uh, I think this, the second week I was here, I, was, I had the privilege of going to 
preach at Noangara Baptist Church. And I, I'd never seen canola fields uh, before in my life. South Africa, we have uh, sunflower fields, you know, that make oil. But here, as we were driving, there was just uh, kind of as far as the eye could see this beautiful field. And a friend of mine said, let's stop and have a look. And I said, what is this? And, and as you stop and have a look, it, you see the detail. And as you see that detail, you begin to go, wow, isn't that amazing? And folks, the more detail we experience of God's grace, the more we want to share it. Took photos so I could share it with my wife and my son. Eventually, I took them to go and see it as well. It was, it's beautiful, but you need to experience it yourself rather than live in drudgery. Oh, woe is me. I'm a Christian. I have to go to church. I can't do this. I have to read my Bible. Oh, woe is me. No, that's not Christianity. That's legalism. But when you begin to take the Spirit in and allow the God to speak to you, allow God to speak to you, so it sets you free to be able to do it, do it with joy. The word joy has the same root word for grace. Grace is chari or charis. Joy is chara. Kara, same root word. And so as we experience His grace, His Spirit comes and fills us, not with happiness, but with His joy. And it sets us free. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank You for Your goodness. We thank You for Your grace and Your mercy. We thank You for Your love. Lord, we pray that you will fill us afresh with who you are, that you will guide us, that you will lead us, that you will go before us, that whatever we say, whatever we do, may be seasoned with your grace. Less of us and more of you, we pray, Lord. Fill us once again with your goodness, Lord that we might make your name famous in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.